0: mini Jen is the founder of the Flow Project, an organization that facilitates communities to self-organize, to protect themselves against floods and droughts. Cool. I'm really glad to have you on, Mini.
1: Thank you, Alpha. <laughs> Thank you for having me on your show, on your podcast.
0: Cool, do you wanna share a little bit about how you got into water?
1: Yes, we could do that um it's it's not. Um, I guess, I guess I started really actively working in water in somewhere around 2011. But prior to that, we had already set up the charity and there had been we'd set up a charity in India and then we started looking at the, you know, different aspects of uh, the climate and environment and, you know, all those aspects that lead to a good healthy life. Uh, and we'd set up a charity around that in the UK. Water was, we knew a really integral part of it. And we knew that is the biggest. So in a sense, we did a few of the other projects first, like local seasonal organic food, uh, looking at the spirit, the, uh, looking at science, looking at how uh, good healthy air, what we need. And then we arrived at water. So that was somewhere around in 2011. And roughly around that time when I started making a foray into looking at what is really happening in the space around water and what the water cycle, um, I was invited to speak at a project in Portugal called Tamera. And uh, they also asked me at the same time if there was anybody, uh, anybody I could suggest if I would like to invite. So at that point, I had never met Rajendra Singh and I really wanted to meet him knowing what fantastic work they were doing in India and so I said can we invite Rajendra Singh Uh, uh, and here's the contact and if you went and invited him uh, maybe he'll come and he did accept the invitation and he came and uh, uh, literally it was a very fortuitous and very very wonderful meeting between Rajendra and me and it was we got on like that from that very second and that's when he invited me to India to see uh, I live in the UK um, and he invited me to India to see really the kind of work he had been doing for the last 30-35 years and I have a lovely story of that time when he, and he said look uh, how many people do you think I should invite when you're there so I said well if we want to have a discussion maybe three or four really you know people who you think would add value to the discussion he said fine and when i arrived there there were about 29 people <laughs> it was a wonderful week and really seeing the kind of work the uh, rajendra and his villagers had been doing in arid and dry rajasthan over the last 30 years we knew i knew then and there itself that this is going to be a, a lifetime's work a commitment for life and that really we have to go very very deep into this space of community regeneration of landscapes and not just in india but globally so that's when around the, that time came back and set up the flow partnership rajendra was very keen that we look at it internationally so together myself and uh, philip my colleague and uh, rajendra and we really started looking at how we can look at this community regeneration of landscapes looking at their water as an international uh, endeavor so that's a long answer to your uh, question.
0: Okay, cool. And uh, and so you started in Britain, but you're looking at the projects in India. Did it, Is this water situation similar in Britain and India?
1: Um, well, this year it almost is uh, similar because uh, this was the first year that Britain declared that there was a drought in the country. So you could almost say that it is similar. Uh, however, when we started, you know, the, f- the thing that we looked at is building interventions in the landscape that hold the rainwater. So you can call it rainwater harvesting, you, call, you can call it water retention, you can call it uh, holding water, you, you know, whatever the term that suits you, but it is essentially holding the water in the landscape and not letting it run off. And those structures or interventions, which are like little check dams or little walls or swales or ditches or a pond or whatever the structure is suited to that particular geographical landscape, uh, it doesn't let the water run away but that fulfills two purposes, no? so in a drought area, the water goes into the ground and recharges the underground aquifer and raises the water level in the wells uh, and any surplus going to create seasonal or even perennial streams. But it's the same thing happens in a flood. So floods and droughts are two sides of the same coin. So those same structures which hold the water stop it from becoming in a flood scenario from becoming this huge volume of water rushing downstream and flooding the villages and towns downstream. So that realization was very, very crucial to understand that that is how nature works. And that is how you're looking at floods and droughts. But actually, you go even beyond that. You're looking at the management of water or how water flows and what water does in the landscape. And so floods and droughts are Uh, effects of bad management of water, I'd say, or not managing water properly in the landscape if you have a settlement, but if you looked after your landscape and held it at the right points, you know, you'd go a long way to resolving both droughts and floods with the same kind of intervention and structures.
0: So when you started off in Britain, was it dealing with more droughts or more floods, the initial situation? No,
1: So, sorry, I didn't complete that uh, uh, answer to that first question. So when we started in Britain, when we set it up in Britain, um, we were originally, we were looking at expanding the kind of work that Rajendra was doing, expanding it globally and also making, you know, it nobody knew of that work. So making that awareness, creating awareness around those structures and what was happening with the drought and those interventions and, and what the villagers were doing in India for droughts. And then um, uh, somewhere around that time, I saw this program on uh, an an environmental program on the BBC, which was featuring similar kinds of things, woody debris, leaky dams, small little check dam type of things, being built in this country, and they were stopping floods. And that was a revelatory moment for me. So the people who were doing the scientists who were doing it, Uh, There was an iconic uh, project in the north of England, which was called Belford and which had been done by our colleagues, uh, Paul Quinn and uh, Mark Wilkinson and their team. And so we we didn't know them at that time. We contacted them and very hesitantly told them that, you know, what you are doing to manage floods, those same things that you're putting in the landscape, in the flow pathway of the water, we're doing in India to manage droughts. And they were thrilled because that's they also knew they were scientists, but they were people who were working on the ground with the farmers and actually, you know, seeing what happens when you manage water in the right way. And it didn't matter whether they were doing floods. It's that management of the flow of water is what they were looking at. So they invited us up to the James Hutton Institute uh, up in Scotland and said, why don't you give us a presentation? and uh so we went up and uh, uh, there were about 40 scientists in the room all flood specialists and here i am not a scientist and we were going to talk about uh what we were doing in uh, india about droughts and it was a wonderful conversation it was immediately a meeting of understanding that uh, you know in this country we may be looking at floods in the uk it rains a lot so you are looking at different interventions that manage floods that communities can do that small structures that you can use to manage floods and we were talking about those same kinds of structures we our communities in india were building to manage droughts so that discussion was really uh, you know uh, powerful in that it became a whole understanding of water so you had the understanding of floods which were which is what uk grapples with and you had the understanding of droughts which india grapples with and bringing them together that understanding that actually your communities can work with them and deal with those problems in a similar sort of a way uh, together so we while we worked with our colleagues a lot on flooding and natural management flooding in the UK. This year, it's been very interesting that a lot of people have been talking to us about our work in India and saying that we can do that here. And then and our, some of our responses, actually, you're already doing that here. So in a way, how do you, uh, you you know, bring the attention to the fact that floods and droughts are two sides of the same coin and you're already managing that? So it doesn't matter whether you're working with floods or you're working with droughts uh, in, in the whole perspective. But of course, locally, you deal with the problem that is uh, more prevalent.
0: Well, it's interesting that uh, the solutions to droughts and floods are the same. And you could also argue that there's also a drought-flood cycle, that the causation, they're actually influencing each other because the droughts, can sometimes create fires, which then takes away the vegetation, which slows down floods. And it sometimes puts a waxy surface on the soil, which the water doesn't absorb. And so then you have these floods. Uh, Well, when there are big rains, the floods will come. And then the floods wash away the topsoil, which makes the droughts a lot worse because then you're not absorbing the rainfall. And so there's this kind of drought flood cycle that's causative too, so.
1: Absolutely, one leads to the other. You know, it's like uh, uh, it's exactly that. If the topsoil goes away, then you you've actually created conditions for a drought and a flood. <laughs> so, uh, if you cut trees, you've created same mm-hmm. same conditions. There is nothing in the landscape to hold the water as it's rushing down, and again, there is nothing in the landscape to hold the water to make the landscape water rich in the. and and stop it from drying out so it is two sides of the same coin it's the problem that you're grappling with in that particular area you'll find that if you look at it in a whole context you'll realize that it is that cycle that you're talking about so you look after one and you will look after the other but if you do too much of one or too little of the other then you will have that cycle perpetuating itself and eventually it becomes a drought because eventually once uh, vegetation goes, and uh, you you know there is nothing there to uh, you, you know for rain to f- you know, for for the cycle water cycle to be functioning. Eventually, you will get a complete breakdown of the cycle, and finally, drought is what occurs. There's nothing there in the landscape to sustain the water to hold the water.
0: Yeah, because when the uh, when the when there's soil to absorb the rainfall. That water can then evapotranspire and go further inland yeah. and create more rain in the small water cycle or what's called moisture recycling.
1: Absolutely. It's that, it's that healthy small water cycle is what we're looking to create that optimum balance of moisture in, 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 in the landscape. No? So when that balance shifts, you get the flood or you get the drought. And then that, of course, feeds into the large water cycle and the heat islands and the hurricanes and all that we get.
0: What is your sense when you've been talking to different scientists and hydrologists do they understand that the solutions to droughts and floods are the same and do they realize that droughts and floods are causing each other
1: so um i mean if you talk a lot scientists of course don't like to categorically say something like that they like their evidence and they don't like to state it as a fact because they don't know how the climate will behave so that that's one thing, but there are also scientists and there are scientists. There are scientists who are so married to the evidence and the numbers that they crunch, that they find it very difficult to really go beyond into understanding what communities are actually doing. But then there are scientists who are now more and more increasing, the tribe is increasing, who are working with nature-based solutions. And they definitely do understand. It's not rocket science. I'm not a scientist. It's not, it's easy enough to understand. You sit with communities, you see what they do, whether it's in, uh, you know, a very uh, educated country like, uh, uh, you know, countries that you find in the Western world or countries like India, where there is a lot of farming population, which hasn't had that kind of school education, but they have a different kind of education. So you have scientists of two two various kinds, but I think that understanding is becoming very, very clear. That uh, it isn't just numbers. It, it, it when you look at it in reality and how it translates into the landscape, then that understanding there is there is uh, you know there's no gap there. So slowly, I think that that uh, uh, you know crunching numbers, but it has to be in service of the landscape and community and understanding that water cycle. Um, I think a lot of scientists are beginning to talk about it. They understand it, but they're now beginning to talk about it a lot more.
0: And which fields are these scientists usually in? Um, is it hydrology <laughs> or is it uh, climate scientist? Or Who Who are these people working with this?
1: Um, I I mean, it's a very general statement I'll make, but the ones that we normally meet uh, are often hydrologists, so they're very, they they do understand how water flows so it's not a problem, but then you have climate scientists as well and then you have uh, you know, geographers, and you have uh, so those are the general kinds that we meet in general. We work more with communities and lesser with scientists. If, if uh, you know, I don't um, get into a scientific debate because then I would need that kind of foundation to speak with them. My foundation is community and what community does, but uh, um, there are when you're invited to certain forums where there are very top-notch scientists over there, you, you often find that uh, because now this has become mainstream, climate change is no longer to be denied, even though you might have a few denies. That uh, the kind of fires and droughts and floods that we're seeing in the last two, three years, and especially this year, um, there is a lot of, you know, understanding and concern about this. So I think even those very hard number crunching scientists are Um, Having to look at this very, uh, look at the water cycle very seriously.
0: It, It seems the mass media, the story that reaches the mass media is that floods and droughts are caused by, by greenhouse gases. Like greenhouse gases heat up, and then that heating of the climate then causes droughts and, and and floods. But I haven't heard as much that it's because the land use, you know, and we're disrupting the small water cycle that that's the reason that we're getting these droughts and floods. I think that that story reaches a little less the media
1: mm. i think you're right there alpha because that whole first of all mass media is, itself is uh, their least <laughs> you know uh, they 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 for them in news is what is the news that sells so often uh, they themselves don't know very much and the news that goes out from social media almost or channels like yours or Podcasts, where, which are really focusing on these kind of problems, if people get their, their information or knowledge or news from uh, these kind of places, then that's likely to be far more reliable. What makes it to the mainstream media is often, um, uh, you know, it's often an occurrence, an, an event, and around that event, you'll get a few pundits giving their take, and uh, you know, but but you won't you don't get that kind of reasoned discussion quite often and like often some of that stuff is actually paid for by organizations that have vested interests in denying some certain things or you know greenhouse gases for example it's linked to so many things so it's uh mainstream media is really just the starting point To get your news but to really get something serious to understand something seriously you have to go beyond that
0: Mm. so your group has done work in education trying to educate people about all these things so do you want to talk a little bit about your efforts to educate people about these new water stories Mm. or old world stories
1: Okay, so the waterways.world is what we started as an online water school and there are various offshoots of that coming in different continents depending on what the communities locally want and need. Um, it's a different school. It's not a school where you can come in and you can do a course and you can go away with uh, a, you know a certain body of knowledge or a degree or whatever it is that uh, online schools do. We set it up with knowing when we would worked with different communities across um, This started, especially with India, but also looking at Europe, we worked with communities in Europe and we found that one of the biggest gaps is for communities who are unable to do work on the ground is that there is no space for communities to share successful learning with each other in the space of water. And uh, some of the communities we work with are amongst the poorest communities on the planet. I mean, there's no question that they'll have space to share. Uh, And so that's a real gap. So if you have a community in the back of beyond in Rajasthan that is actually reviving their landscape using a traditional method, building what they call johads in Rajasthan and actually alleviating those conditions of drought It's hugely successful and yet it doesn't make it to the community three valleys down, why not, or uh, because three valleys down could also be that they're also suffering from drought and they would really benefit from knowing what uh, the other community has done and that gap needed to be addressed. Rather than having a school where people can you know, scroll the net, find what they want, and they're in this space now, there are many, many organizations who are offering really wonderful courses in terms of understanding the water cycle, understanding the flow of water, what to do. So we decided that was not the space we wanted to enter. We wanted to enter that space of making available successful methods that communities can share with each other. So we've got... One is an online platform where uh, if there is a particularly successful community that has done water retention and really revitalize their area and landscape together uh, as a community. Uh, and it's a space for them to present their work and those who come for them to ask questions, learn the method back and forth. So it's that kind of space for communities to sit together and learn from each other. So that's that's one part of it. And then the other we are slowly building this up, but you really need funds and you need visionaries to really support this kind of work, where you have method, uh, you know, you can make short films of the actual methods. So. And if those methods can be presented in a way that any community can understand, if you know your landscape, how to build a little Johar in the landscape, for example, or a little pond or a little staggered ditch, you know, what are the things you need to look out for. So that kind of, um, uh, and that works very well with animation as well. You know, real life story coupled with animation. So we did one of that as a project with an engineering firm called Arup, uh, and it was called Water Up, Water Up Skilling. So we created a film around a johad like that and tested that out with a community in completely the other side of the world in Colombia. So done in Rajasthan tested with a community in Colombia who not only got it, who completely understood what the whole thing was as the film went, because they had something similar happening in their community in terms of holding water. Could you and explain what a johad is? Something more.
0: Uh, I think I think some of the listeners might not know what a johad is do you want to just explain what that is
1: okay a johad is is like a small check dam it's an intervention that you build in the landscape especially along the flow pathway of water coming down small hill slopes and if you build it in the right place where the maximum water pools if you build that little check dam and they, they can be they don't have to be very uh, concrete check dams, they can just be very small, made of mud, dug from the uh, where the water will be held, and um, they used to be built, and it, so when the water falls, that johad stops the water from running downstream, it holds the water behind the johad so or the check dam you can also call it a check dam and that those are traditional structures built in Rajasthan because Rajasthan in India is very dry and very desertified and traditionally uh, they had to hold the water during when the water fell during the months of the monsoon if they didn't do that then they had a whole year of dry uh, period ahead of them So that's how they used to hold the water for their um, uh, daily use. So those johads we found are basically interventions in the landscape, just holding the water. So you can call them johads in Rajasthan. You can call them highways in Colombia. You can call them different names in different cultures. Essentially, their function is to hold the water as it falls from the sky.
0: And then when you're teaching the community, uh, you're teaching... A lot of people to have learn how to build these drill heads, or just you just select a couple of people to learn how to do it, and then they do it for the community. Or how does it usually work?
1: Hmm. It's a, so to roll back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the work we do, or we enable, or facilitate, is community-driven, decentralized water management. So if you unpack each of those words, community. So the community is the crucial part of it. Driven, that means it's driven by the community. It's done by the community. It's uh, desired by the community. Decentralized, which means it's not in our control. It is in their control. Water management. So this is water management done by the community with processes and methods that they know. We don't teach them anything. On the contrary, they usually in general in especially in areas like Rajasthan, which traditionally have a have very dry climate, there, there are traditional methods and means that their ancestors used to be able to hold the water. Now, there are two aspects to that. One is those traditional methods like johads are, were going out of fashion. As the older generation was dying out, that knowledge was going with them. So in the revival of that, there is a traditional method come back, which is actually very relevant. But then there is the other side of it. We live in 2022. So you can't sit and say the past is all there is. There is a huge body of science which has uncovered amazing uh, wisdom and knowledge as well which would be very useful to communities on the ground but how do you make that available to communities that don't necessarily read uh, and write or the same language so um, the, a lot of our work is in facilitating that interaction or understanding of what communities need to know uh, from both on both sides so one is what they already know about water management traditional two is what uh, potentially could help them from the other communities or the scientific body or what uh, people in other countries scientists in other countries have uncovered which might be useful you know or interpretation of satellite data and as well as bringing back to the uh, educated community what kind of questions communities grapple with so there is there is an interchange it's an exchange it's not a top down so the learning that happens is actually an exchange between communities. So we don't have courses that we teach them. We create the learning materials, we create the learning space for communities to come into and we make that available for them to learn from each other. So the next step of that of course is learning visits, exchange visits between communities and we're slowly working on that. So the online bit is a genuine exchange between communities it's that's why it's not a course driven teaching space nobody teaches each other except the communities that interact with each other it's very so. Um, so
0: you kind of go into a community and you say let's create a space of dialogue and then you invite also communities from another place to kind of come in and and, and share with that community that's kind of the process that is
1: do. one step yes that's one mm-hmm. way of doing it and or uh, there's an, or, you know, if there is an NGO that's been working on a particular method in uh, in that area. So let's say Rajendra and his organization have been working on herds. So then you organize, uh, you know, other communities, other farmers from the region, from across further, who want to come and learn that method in the real. So you it's a kind of a water school which works with the interaction between communities of one area who are doing it successfully with communities who want to do the same thing in their area who okay, feel that cool. might be a benefit so it's a community exchange uh, knowledge portal and how Portal's many communities
0: how many communities approximately have you worked with in india
1: hmm It's hard to keep track, but I know that uh, Rajendra's uh, lot, they, uh, they have a huge number of farmers coming from all over, all over India. And, uh, you know, they, it can at any, uh, I I would say that they could even have um, um, I know, I know the figure 4000 was said to me at one point, uh, uh, which was over a period of six months so it depends really it can be thousands of people depending on if they're having a a huge sort of learning event so you can have many 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 and Regina himself is very active in terms of uh, uh, creating awareness around this kind of uh, way of managing water in the landscape Uh, the online forum that we run we have been doing that in Africa now for the last one year and i would say we 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 try and do one session about uh, depending on the right finding the right community we've done about one session in every six weeks or so so we've done about six sessions six to seven sessions and uh, about 7 to 800 people from uh, who are farmers and villagers and land managers uh, in rural communities have come to those sessions. So I would say that, yeah, it's about those and that kind of level at the moment. And that
0: session is a day long, or it's multi multi week. Oh no,
1: it's a two hour session, but right. within the two hour session, there is a uh, you know there is a presentation of what the community has done, what is the method they've used, uh, you know what how they did it and how they do it, and then there is a larger space for questions and answers and discussions and then a space for them to connect with each other at the end so it's not you know moderated it's moderated by us but it's not held as in uh, going through us they can they are very free to contact each other and that has created quite a lot of buzz actually because people do visit each other uh, on the ground in different parts uh, you know different some of the different countries that we've been working uh, having presentations from
0: and, the, and is this the same method that works in Britain or you have to do it differently in Britain to get things to happen?
1: Hmm. So in Britain, we are doing it slightly differently in that we are not uh, ourselves doing any work, but we are working with colleagues who are doing that kind of work. So Britain is slightly different, but at the same time. The methods that our colleagues are coming up with—leaky dams, etc., uh, and living uh, willow barriers and all that—it's the method can be the same. You know, it's, it's just, a, in fact, it it all, it depends on a really good internet connection and it depends on interest. So, and that that is the same for across the world. If you have a really good internet connection, if people have a really good internet connection, and there is material available, uh, uh, people join in. The world is far more digital than we know. One of the biggest drivers for setting up the water school like this alpha was, uh, w- there was this very interesting article I'd read about eight years ago hmm, in the Harvard Business Review, one of those very uh, you know, well-regarded magazines, about how rural parts of the world now have, in various countries, but especially countries like India, have fantastic internet and internet speeds. And that even if the older generation is not really internet savvy, but the next generation and the younger generation definitely is. So this is planning for the future. It isn't just the way things happen, but methods, knowledge, exchange, discussion, in the rural areas even in poor communities goes from the you know from the, the internet through the internet through the mobile phones okay through uh, whatsapp is hugely used in africa you have a small five minute film it can get viral in seconds in the backyards of different countries in africa so that's that that thinking that uh, it has to be located in one place you know, you ha- we had to think, what is the scenario going to be in the future? So that a digital, uh, you'd be really, be really, really surprised. People don't know how to read, but a mobile phone, definitely, and WhatsApp, a video on it. If they don't, can't read it, their granddaughter or their grandson is showing it to them and then they passed on to each other. So learning is happening in variously interesting ways with the arrival of the internet and technologies like mobile phones.
0: So we need to kind of create these viral videos on like how to build a Johad or something on TikTok. And yes, Instagram absolutely.
1: And That's what, YouTube totally, for. totally. If you have something successful that really works for a community, well, create a video around that uh and put it out there and if it's really well done if it speaks to people it gets picked up and it gets shared the problem is universal we are now in england as well you're facing drought so there are communities asking what shall we do what shall we do you know it's just so simple so it's not of course it's not as simple as just seeing a video and uh, creating a johad but that's the starting point to use your brain to think right this is my community, this is where I'm living. I've just seen another community that's done something like that. What, this is something I can do over here. And then you take the next step. So in in rural communities, it's the local NGO, which could be connected, you know, if they don't have a local NGO, somebody, some, with nose and in uh, uh, countries like the uk you, uh, you go on the net and you find the local scientists or the local environment agency person who's done something like this and uh, it carries on from there so yeah so fun. in some
0: ways if we can create some kind of viral social media campaign like maybe about the drought flood cycle and then also solutions to the droughts and the floods or like hashtag joe against droughts or something hashtag yeah. johads against floods like Or, and it's kind of create maybe hashtag movement, or like this, there must be some way to kind of really accelerate this whole digital um, platform to kind of activate water. I
1: mean, that is the way to do it. It, it's it's it's. Uh, I find that uh, you know we can have there are traditional ways of talking about it, and you have the traditional schools, and you have the traditional conferences and summits, etc., which are great meeting places for people to actually hear from each other, etc. But you have to have this in the parallel. What is technology for if it's not used? Uh, in the right way. It's not just to exchange, uh, uh, you know, uh, social interact. It's also this, use it. And this is what's going to come tomorrow. This is the technology of the future. It'll be even smarter than we have it today. But if we put in place these kind of hashtag johads and all those things here now in place, then we've already created the foundation for it.
0: Yeah. And and maybe activate some of these teenagers and people in their 20s who are very good at creating these viral videos and get a whole bunch of them and see if they TikTok. can feed this into the. Yeah. And, you know, like you have these viral dances in the viral ALS, you know, ice bucket challenge. Like they could be some viral thing, build a swale and then get your friend get your other neighborhood, uh, to build a swale or something um, to catch the yeah. rainwater something like that
1: the only thing you have to be very careful about is that if it becomes viral in a fashion and they don't really think it through then you can do damage as well
0: right so uh,
1: you you know it, there is a scientific basis to where you construct a johar you don't just build a johar anywhere the villagers know where to build the johar in the landscape so, uh, you, you know, we can create a viral movement, but it has to go alongside with seriously looking at doing it right.
0: Mm. You want to say a little bit about where you put the johads in villages?
1: Um, it's It really depends on where you are. So do you have hills? Do you not have hills? If you don't have hills and you don't actually do johads, you do some, You could do a chawkas. It depends, so therefore the method is dependent on the geography of the area. But for johads itself, if you go halfway up the hills, that's upstream is where you build the johads. So you hold the water upstream. That's a, that's a universal principle in any case. No? You hold the water upstream and then it stops it from becoming this flood downstream. And it recharges the aquifer right from on top so that it recharges the wells downstream in drier areas. But you don't site the johad any old way. You know, the villagers who live in that area will know where the flow pathways of the water is, where the maximum water collects. So you cite the johad there. You don't cite it where half the water will come and half of it will go. You cite it in that place, in upstream, where putting that intervention will hold the maximum water coming down. So th- those kind of things are definitely, they have to be kept in mind or you could then build it in the wrong place, you know? And if you build it in the wrong place and it doesn't do the job, then it, there is always the thing, oh God, what a waste of time, what a waste of money, what a waste of X, Y, Z, it doesn't work. It does work, You, but you have to do it with, uh, you know, knowing the landscape of where you live. So it, that's why it's a community effort, Alpha. It has to be the community wants to do it. The community comes together to do it. You won't get 100% of the people 100% of the time. But uh, in general, 80 to 90% of the community has to agree that's what they're doing. And when they then do it, then they are responsible for it. So then they do it very carefully. But if I come in and say, I'm going to build a Johad for you, what a complete waste of time because I'm not giving them Any agency over their area, their knowledge, their wisdom, their, uh, uh, you know, the responsibility, it is their area, they live in it, they're the ones in trouble, Uh, they are the ones who want to create that uh, abundance in their area, and if they do it with themselves, it's far more exciting than some NGO coming in and doing it. But often when it's a really poor area or when it is an area where people haven't had uh, the chance to really understand water flows like this or like here, then uh, the larger part of that work, the larger time is spent in the dialogues and discussions with the community. And that's when the community comes on board. And then after that, getting them to do it in the knowing the right place, building the right structure, you know, maybe it's not a johard, whatever it is, or maybe it's a sand dam, depending on what they've uncovered. It's a whole process. And that process comes alive when the community takes the responsibility for it. So and the really crucial point in this after after this is you and I are two individuals. How much can we do physically, uh, you know, in terms of facility uh, doing it for somebody? But if you have this kind of movement, it's a people's movement. And if you have this kind of movement, which then goes viral, then you have many more people doing it just way beyond you. And that's what's needed in the world today.
0: So in the U.S., we have, uh, you know, know quite a few people in different communities they're interested in doing you know in America we call them swales or at least the permaculture and, and check dams um and doing this kind of work but how 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 do you have some advice on the next steps they can take to activate their community to to undertake um some of this these actions hmm.
1: um, well the first is you talk to everyone in your community not just the people you like So that's, that's the first, first, first step, because everybody in your community has to come together, has to understand what is the idea you're proposing. And those discussions aren't easy, but those discussions are your foundation. Once you have people in your community really understanding that this idea that you're bringing of permaculture or building swales is going to do this, if you've had those discussions and uh c- conversations and you know that's the hard work that is the legwork that's required for anybody wanting to s- do something in their community if you're doing it on your land you don't need to really talk with anybody unless you're really wanting to talk about it so uh th- my that's the one thing i would say is that do that legwork bring basically community-
0: maybe invite to go around your neighborhood invite put on an event and then have you know create a circle where yeah. everyone can kind of share a little bit. And then what's the issue in your area? Is it, yeah. you know, lack of groundwater? Is it lack, you know, like yeah. Yeah. too hot, yeah. too dry? But the like-
1: language is us. The language is not your, you, you know? So if you have, uh, let's say, 10 people coming together from a particular area, they are articulating what their problem is. You're sitting there facilitating it, maybe because you've come from outside. But if it's done by somebody within the area itself, you know, so let's say you didn't have your permaculture farm that you're already on at the moment, but that was a place you were going to set up, or it was, uh, you know, it's, it was a whole community you were setting up, or you were citing it within an existing community, then you make those social connections first the discussions first, understand what's in the area. And that's the largest part of the work, the hardest part of the work. You have loads of people in every community has those who know, those who don't want to know, those, you know, those who will tell you how to do it and won't do anything apart from watching you you know, and be critical about it. There'll be those who will encourage you thoroughly. There'll be those who will give you the, you know, come and join you and you want them all. You want that, so the hard work, the legwork is actually having those conversations with all. And it can be one, it can be two, it can be three events, it can be four events. And then at a, at a certain point, it moves into action. And that's why one person can't do it. You see, if you look at it, that's why it is a crowdsourced thing. It's a people's movement. Different people will do it for their communities. It's not driven by one person. Organization or one person. It is driven by those who are facing that particular issue in their community. When it's driven by them, when it's driven by the community, then it becomes uh, something that will happen. And then you resource them and make them uh, yeah, strong. I, I, I really
0: think happen. that this water movement has to be a decentralized community networked kind of uh, process.
1: Hmm. Hmm, I agree. Absolutely. It has to be decentralized. It cannot be controlled by the water companies. It cannot be controlled by the water mafia. It cannot be controlled by, uh, even by very well-meaning NGOs. It should not be controlled. It is, you know, if we all drink water, uh, then we all have a responsibility to generate that water within the communities Uh, or, you know, I mean, the the larger community is the earth, of course. We we have a responsibility towards it, and it has to be decentralized. You can't be told by uh, so-and-so to do this. You know, wherever you are, you know the problem. And if there is an equality in the discussion, then the problem is likely to be resolved. But if there is, the problem comes in that when we don't have discussions like that. Somebody is telling you to do this, you know, so it'll bring its own resultant uh, pushbacks and pullbacks and whatever else have you. So it goes on.
0: Do you have any way, um, like, because I I know a lot of people in their communities want to get this going. Do you have any sort of training or like these people, if they want to spearhead, in their own watershed um, activating? Or do you have some seminars that people can go to or?
1: Um, and we don't do that mm-hmm. one, but uh, it's, it's actually, you don't need much training, um, Alpha. It's like, uh, you know, you, you, we, the question you're asking is that we need to learn how to talk to each other, mm-hmm. no? Uh, and we need to learn how to listen to each other and that's very hard so one thing of course we do uh, do is say for again I come back to the Rajasthan example because that's where the maximum work has been done is, uh you do have people, you know, like in every community across the world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we've got a water problem, but you do it for us. Okay, that's the first response you get when you hold a community. And immediately, you just think, I'm not doing it for you. How many can I do? It's your community, you're living here, please. Uh, can you not see that you need to take the step? But you have to go beyond that. You know, the, so you, you always need somebody, who, uh, can hold that patience with which to have that conversation. So you have to have that patience. You have to have that patience to listen to what is uh, being said and really being said with a focus on what can happen. So we know the community in Rajasthan needs water. So the process is more towards getting them to admit they need the water and they'll do it. The process is not telling them you can do this. The process is getting them to take responsibility, to go for, peel back the layers of, you don't take responsibility for them. It's, if you live in that community, then it's a shared responsibility. If you don't live in that community, but you're helping facilitate the conversation, then you have to facilitate the conversation to the point that they then they take the responsibility. Now, all that is much easier if there is actually a water problem. If there isn't, if it's a preemptive thing, then it's much harder, no? If you're having a drought, people will talk to you. If you have a flood, you're having a flood, people will talk to you. But if, if there is no flood or no drought, uh, they'll say, yeah, but we are very busy doing this, that, the other come another time. <laughs> so then the number of people who are looking at it preemptively, looking at the trends, looking at what's been happening in the last five years in the climate, what were the problems the community faced are fewer. But nevertheless, there is still a conversation there to be had, which then expands. So like here, I live in a village and uh, there is a sustainable Stavarton group. So while Stavarton, the village I live in, is very green, it's very lush, it's got a river flowing through it. Uh, people are fairly well off. There are lovely farms around. Nevertheless, you want them to look at uh, you know, climate change issues and what our lifestyles are doing. And I, I didn't set it up. It was already an existing group that's here. And they meet once a month just to keep a grip on the issues and alive. So there's no flooding issue here at the moment. But this year, it did look like they might have a drought issue. But nevertheless, there's the group. Sometimes they're treated seriously. Sometimes they're treated, uh, you know, that's that green group. But uh, the conversation, and that's happening across, it happens in the US as well, is what you're talking about, you know, the the group, that bit people don't get, we fall into that trap of giving of our knowledge, but you evoke that knowledge from within people, then it's much more powerful and much more long lasting.
0: So this year there were floods in Pakistan and Australia and in Florida. So, after those floods, is that a time to kind of go into those neighborhoods and try to activate people, like to say you could deal with swales and johads in your community that might have,
1: you know, lessened? No, no not in the aftermath of a flood like that uh, is very devastating. So you're the communities are just simply grappling with getting their lives back to normal again. Mm-hmm. You know? So, like in Pakistan, for example, and those are huge scale floods. So when we're talking of swales, et cetera, we're talking of a small area. The floods that happened in Pakistan were huge. It needs a governmental program, you know, to look at the whole region holistically. So once people's lives are uh, uh, getting back on track, that's when you start really the conversation so that it doesn't happen again but you need the government in, in charge uh, uh, involved you need the government to also be concerned so you have uh, if you look at the programs in India uh, you have programs set up by the government uh, which gives uh, has a certain budget to create these kind of interventions johads, et etc for every village mm-hmm. uh, Is there a take up from every village? No, but slowly, 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 as the drought started growing, the take up started going more. So it's not in the immediate aftermath of a disaster, natural disaster. They're not, they don't have the mind to listen, space to listen. They don't know where their belongings are. They don't know if you're talking of Pakistan, for example, but we have a conversation going on in Ireland, uh, in a particular region where one particular river floods and that floods every year. So there is a conversation every year after the flood. (laughs) And uh, slowly, you know, there is the residents hopefully are making, you know, in collaboration with the local NGO with whom we work, uh, making the government fork out a bit of a budget so that that whole catchment, not, not even catchment level, just that little bit, they can do some you know, natural solutions to halt that flooding, and then go a little more and go a little more. It's a, it's a slow process. It needs that committed group of individuals within the community. But in yeah. a in a wealthier society, it's much easier when after to talk after a flood. But the scale of flood in Pakistan is it's a different different ball game.
0: Right. Yeah, I think in Pakistan, Australia. You can't just do just swales and johads. You actually need to uh, set aside whole floodplains, I think, and uh, yes. and allow those levees not to be on the river so that the whole area yeah. can flood. Uh,
1: and you need disaster relief and all those. You know, those are very poor communities. So you need a government, uh, that that government programs uh, uh, for that scale.
0: I know in, uh, in Florida, there was one community that did actually have their own uh, I think they created a bit more wetlands and 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 johads and all this stuff and so it actually wasn't affected by the floods as much as all the surrounding communities so that could be a as an example you know
1: it works the uh, pro, you know the the project i was telling you about right at the start the belford one in northern england uh, that was a little village which had a little stream called a burn about 40 miles long and it in two years, it would, uh, it sort of would flood about five times four or five times. And then so over that 40 mile long, you know, and the farmers, you know, in England, there was the Act which said which paid farmers to drain the land. So it's very hard for them to go back to holding the water on the land. They were paid to drain the land and that's what the law was. So farmers to think, what are you saying? Hold the water on the land and it'll stop flooding. It didn't make sense to them. So when our colleagues went, they, they as I said, they spent the first year was actually spent in constant conversation with the farmers and discussions and showing them, talking to them and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then when finally, when some of the farmers agreed, to allow them to put little interventions and then on the stream, they put the woody debris, etc. One of the farmers actually said, if that's gonna stop flooding, I'll eat my hat. You know, I'm sure he's eaten 20 hats since because it's not <laughs> flooded since. And that converts the farmers. And if one of those serious traditional farmers gets converted, it, there's your next step, you know, much easier. Then you're not saying it, he's telling his community and the next, and the next. So those things work. They really work, those small interventions, those leaky, leaky dams, those little, little swales, those little ditches, staggered ditches, or, you know, whatever that they're doing, oh, they work. They definitely work. And and the combined effect of those actually does stop flooding in an area.
0: Yeah, so I guess uh, in some communities, you could kind of find some farmers or someone with large land a little bit higher up and, and convince them, and then once they succeed then you can maybe spread to the other um owners like this is a this absolutely
1: absolutely that's actually that's what happened in rajasthan as well you know uh, there was no uh, getting permission to build johads on common land wasn't proving that easy And one of the farmers who had a huge amount of land, he said, I'll give 15% of my land. It's already dry. Nothing is happening on it. So I might as well give 15% of it for the work to happen and let it benefit the community. I've got enough land, which is completely unproductive. But then when he did that and the jihad was built and the water was held. And the next time they had lots of water, suddenly a he was the hero. He was in various television programs. He was this. He was that. But it became a complete uh, conversion that you know people who had land started thinking, okay, I can do the same. So uh, so then it became a whole movement that not only people who had private land started doing it but also you know common land and the government officials they are people in your own community they too they could see what a difference it made so they started signing off on you can build the johad on the common land to benefit x community so it, it, it's 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 what you say the proof of the pudding was in the actual scene but it took one courageous you know private uh, uh, farmer to do that but if you have can show the impact of it and have a real uh, uh, you know uh, somebody who's willing to engage with that that's a really that's that 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 sets the tone very quickly
0: so that so that's something uh, could be for the viral social media especially if someone like if there's a listener now like maybe you could make some social media videos about like take these farmers or take a case study because i think a personal story is very it, it, it hits your emotional chords a bit better right and so make those stories yeah. and make those go viral you know so yeah
1: the work again and again and again the the work itself is the digging etc etc and creating the johad is the last 30 percent the first 70 percent is social it's the conversations, it's the getting everybody on board, or not even everybody, but getting people to trust each other, that we can do this together. That's the 70% of the work, or 60, you know, but the larger part of it.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, one of the conversations, like there's a huge conversation around the world around climate right now, and it's really focused on carbon and greenhouses. If there's a way to also bring in like, that there's, there's reasons these droughts and these floods and these fires that that we're just attributing to the greenhouse gases, but it actually is attributed to land use change too. So land like, use. so like, yeah, I feel like that's a big, like, if we can get that vector diverted some attention to this, then that should be a lot more people interested in this.
1: Mm, mm, absolutely. It's, it's that, uh, you know, one person who you might want to invite on your podcast or even just interview him and uh, uh, edit, who really knows his stuff, who really has been hugely influential in us being able to put these ideas in place from a base of sound knowledge is Mikhail krapchik he really is an amazingly uh, uh, well informed and uh, he, what phenomenal work he's done in Slovakia. When we went to see uh, Alpha, when the first I went to India and every village I went to with Rajendra, they, they, he was treated like God, okay, almost. They were so thankful to him, not in a bad way, in a really heartfelt way that uh, with his work and his passion, he enthused them to do the work to bring their lives back to sleep. I saw with something very similar in Slovakia. He helped so many villagers stop flooding by building those structures, and he really knows. They really know the people, the landscape. The uh... Mikhail is also a hydrologist, no? So he knows the numbers as well. He doesn't know the, and he doesn't know those numbers in isolation. He knows those numbers in connection with the communities he's worked with. And that's very valuable, you know, where you can uh, bring the numbers and the people together and then you can understand how much water is being lost from fresh water is being lost from the water cycle every year globally, you know, and how many communities it'll take to do what. You know, some buildings, we, we should build a really social viral thing with him he's an amazing guy
0: right and he did coin the term small water cycle right so that i think
1: i think it was him yes
0: yeah, so that's I have enormous,
1: enormous respect for these guys who, you know, they dismissed, they got prizes, various fancy, fancy prizes, and yet they kept their feet on the ground because they know those prizes are a distraction. The real stuff is what communities can do. And mm-hmm. they kept their energy and their passion with the communities and keeping the focus on what is real and seeing it uh, happen more and more.
0: Right. in slovakia i think were they going to build some huge dam and he said we, we can do it differently we don't need to build a huge dam we could do all these yeah that
1: was one more, that was yeah, the first the 800 dam. villages were going to be flooded uh, you know but that was one but the other was that uh you know all the, along those villages he worked with the villagers to build these small small structures you know and then uh, uh they built them and they didn't have any flooding anymore so, um, and then, of course, the government over there is very different. They were communist government, then they were not communist, then they were communists. Uh, it, it's, it's, then they believe in natural solutions, and then they don't. So, you know, there were many times uh, they, they, they would threaten him as well, that what you're doing isn't right. Or they'd uh, not listen to him and dismiss him, as, or uh, false accusations were put on him. But um, his his villagers knew what he was doing and you know that appreciation and understanding of uh, a human being who really knows and helps them to come out of that uh, uh, problem that they're facing by enabling them to understand it you know so he needed he has that very high level understanding of global understanding, planetary understanding, not just local, and he's able to bring that down to the local. It's the same with Regina. that's why I love these guys. They have a big vision, and understanding of the whole, and they are able to translate it to the small local. No, so so they play a very very valuable part, and then they enthuse you and excite you to do more. So uh, it's it's uh, and they're still here around. I mean, another one of my favorites who I often talk about, who is no more with us, is Zephaniah Firi, my, my, what an Did amazing you, man he was. Zephaniah Firi from uh, Zimbabwe. Uh-huh. Oh, what an amazing man he must have been. Uh, he died in 2015, and I really feel sad not to have met him. But I see his legacy. And I see what an, uh, a loyalty there is to what he enabled with his communities. So, and they exist, those kind of people exist in every country. So, these are the ones I know, and there are a few others, but they exist. You have America, you have so many people like that. You know, England, there are so many, they don't make it to mainstream news, but they are loved and they know the whole planetary. They are the ones who can solve the crisis. And yet, of course, because... They don't, they're not sponsored by Coke or whatever those organizations are who hog the space. <laughs> so they never make it to the mainstream.
0: Yeah, and like a lot more people should know about you know, Krav, check and race gender yeah. and, and I actually don't know this person you said from Zimbabwe. What's his name again?
1: His name is Zephaniah Fili.
0: Zephaniah Fili, okay.
1: There is, um, what do you say, if you look him up, he's got a, uh, he's no longer there, but uh, there are many. There is a wonderful film on him um the water harvester mm. okay there are two on him the rainwater harvester and the water harvester. the water harvester i'll send you the link then okay, you have a look cool. at that yeah it's an amazing film you look at it and you just think this is what i want to do <laughs> right and that's why we started the flow partnership alpha that these are community heroes who understand the global Uh, planetary implications of what is happening down here and yet they keep their feet on the ground and that kind of work has to increase virally that's what the flow partnership does
0: yeah we need to kind of connect the on the ground work with like some of the intellectual understanding like Kravchek has both so that's why you know he's been very very good um Mm -hmm. and you know I I I interviewed a hydroclimatologist on this podcast Francina Dominguez and mm-hmm. uh, when I was researching small water cycles, I, be- I came across a different term in the climate literature that's called moisture recycling. And they also, oh. um, and I called moisture hopping when the moisture hops inland. And, yeah. and so they they hadn't actually, actually hadn't heard of small water cycle. Basically moisture recycling is the same thing as the um, small, <laughs> <motorcycle>, <laughs> small water cycle. So I think those worlds need to be connected because I know people in yeah. academia, like Joe mm-hmm. Brule, he was in atmospheric science, but he got so frustrated it wasn't creating enough change so he went to actually he's now in colombia building projects on the ground was who's born. that who's that joe brewer joe brewer mm. so he's restoring water uh, water stuff in colombia mm. um mm. Mm. and uh but I, f- I feel like some of the reasons i mean most of the climatology is focused more on different aspects but there are a segment of climatologists mm. are focusing on the water cycle mm. Mm. and so that research needs to be you know brought out a yeah. lot more and like francis francina Dominguez she did models where you look at the groundwater is actually correlates with the rain because the groundwater is being drawn up by the tree roots and mycelia which then evapotranspire so it's actually part of the small water cycle and so that small water cycle
1: hugely hmm.
0: that there's a groundwater kind of rain cycle and I, and I i was thinking we'd actually need to name it so that you know kind of like so you make a small water cycle famous maybe there's a i don't know the yeah. high low cycle or something or the deep yeah. water cycle um yeah but like this there's, there's really interesting research that these these climatologists are doing, but like their work is not getting out and that should be influencing
1: because no. if mm-hmm. we realize
0: that part of the reason maybe we're getting droughts is because we're not replenishing groundwater, that's huge for government policy no. and for communities to know that. But no one's drawing that conclusion right now. No, though. no. If we're know. depleting groundwater, that's affecting the rain, you know?
1: So i mean the uh, even the carbon sequestration uh, there is so much of carbon sequestration in a healthy soil hmm? there's so much of carbon sequestration in wetlands so th- there's no uh, it's everybody talks carbon 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 but actually it begins with water and the loss of the water from the small water cycle and the large water cycle but the the thing is that if if uh, all things are equal, and we didn't have all this lobbying going on at those levels, then you would have a real debate, but there isn't a real debate happening. It's only what uh, people are paid to uh, spout. Even amongst your academics, uh, they have terribly difficult lives. I mean, they have departments that they have to run for which they have to raise funds to keep going. So uh, often the funds come with a little latch on the mouth. What do you do? So you, there are lots of closet scientists and academics who would love to be able to say what you are wanting them to say what you've just said. So maybe, you know, and I'm in the work that you've started in terms of the, you know, the, the uh, common words for water, bringing that common narrative, one common story around water right from the beginning when we've been talking, I think that could prove really valuable to bringing... That, uh, uh, you, you, that that whole world into a simple, clear uh, narrative that they can stand behind and not feel threatened. So I think that's really valuable, Alpha. There is too many, so many different words for the same nature-based solution, natural retention, retention features, runoff attenuation, the same thing is called by different scientists, different things. So if you, have a common understanding which can become a gold standard in the world hmm, of this then it would be much easier for people to get behind it because the principle is common why do you call it 80 different names in a different language yes but even in English if you have 50 names for uh, run uh, you know nature-based solutions. so I think what you're doing with water what you're doing in terms of your five water stories or the water principles all that it's hard work. I know you've put in so much time and energy behind it. But it has it has begun to create. I think a bit of thought, yes, there is need for something which we can all stand behind. So uh, uh, I would say that's that would be something you could must keep going with. Okay. That will okay. be incredibly valuable. You'll feel at times like it's just such a thankless task. It's like the way work we do. It it feels completely, you know, our whole goal is to keep it free. That this should be. Why should knowledge around water revival be sold? It should be free. Communities should have it free. And then it's it's a thankless task because you don't get the money. People don't give you the money for communities to be able to do it. So it's the same thing. You can keep going on and on and on and on, and then they'll tell you, turn around and tell you, uh, you haven't understood it. You're not a sign. You're not this. You're not that. Just keep going, and eventually the clouds will clear and something will come out. It takes a while. Yeah. But well, he's really one. He's needed.
0: one uh, catchy slogan. That uh, see what you think. You know. You know. Slow it, sink it, spread it. Right. Yeah. So I was thinking also hop it because there's that moisture hopping, which the climatologist well where the, it's basically a small water cycle. So, you know, the water goes inland through hopping um, from the land to the air to the land. So you I said, slow it, sink it, spread it, hop it. So you, you're thinking of getting, that's why you have, you know, lack of rain further inland because you're not hopping it inland and then also lift it because um, basically there's a thing called hydraulic lift where the tree roots and the mycelia lifting the water from the groundwater into, and then spreading it all around the soil. So, so i was thinking adding those to hop it and lift it to make people think okay we also gotta you know
1: so but you're you kind of adding it, it. sneaking
0: that small water cycle into the slow it spread it sink it meme
1: so as you're talking i'm thinking what you might like to do is actually have a word cloud mm-hmm. so you have these words coming out and uh, uh, that would be very uh, uh, because then because if you say hop it First is very exciting. It it hops, moisture hops. That's really exciting. That's Mm -hmm. a really good word. It makes it feel alive, no? But uh, uh, when you say hop it, I don't understand what I have to do in it. I mean, I understand. But in general, that's the question that comes. What do I have to do in it to make it hop it?
0: (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) So I guess guess, uh, slowing the water down will help hop it because you're guiding it. You're absorbing the rainfall into the... Yeah, I guess it's a slightly different, it's not the verb that you actually do, but I guess to hop But yeah, you have to absorb the rainfall into the soil. Because slowing I can do,
1: storing I can do, sinking I can do, but hopping it does by itself.
0: Yeah, if you do the first three, I guess.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So no, 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 but, but a word cloud would enable that. And word clouds are really popular in, in England, especially nowadays because of this whole political stuff going on. <laughs> so they have this, Rishi Sunak is going to become PM. And then they send this word out and they create a word cloud, what people are saying of him. So there are five or six words come out about him. Competent, rich, da-da-da-da. But if you have a word cloud with the, very, with the main words like slow, store, sink, hop, uh, lift that would itself create a conversation around it with people thinking okay what do you mean hop and then they can link click on it and go and read about how moisture hops i think you you're on to a real winner there on hop it it is an exciting new introduction
0: you yeah, don't well, maybe think of
1: moisture <laughs> Know, isn't that cool it is it's it's it sort of makes you think oh ah it's
0: fun yeah know, it's, it's not, like uh, a Francina uh, dominguez i think she was a uh, she was studying the midwest droughts right and she found out that the midwest in in that's in the middle of the u.s was actually partly due to the water from california and it wasn't hopping inland from california to the midwest so uh-huh. so we could say to that the midwest droughts pop it you know
1: <laughs> yeah 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 no no it's a really good words so uh, definitely, the, it creates a different buzz. Everybody's tired of slow store filter. You know, so there's another part of the story that's hopping and lifting.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess someone added filter, right? Because I don't think Brock Dolman initially had filter, right? So someone added filter to it. Uh,
1: I think that was our scientist up in James Hutton, I think, because uh-huh. uh, when we did the one of the first things, then they sent me the slow store filter was the thing. And then um, it okay. got taken well, up.
0: I think, I think Brock Dolman yeah. was the one who invented it, right? He's quite the wordsmith. He's always playing around with words, and he's yeah. here in California. He's
1: a yeah. No, he's, he's a good a guy. One. Yeah. All these guys are, you know, uh, they all have different levels of skills. So you, you know, can pull various of those skills together, right. which you're already doing actually. So not you can, you are already doing that. So no, there is a good, good, good conversation happening in this space now, which is slowly, slowly uh, sort of creating an understanding of it is our responsibility. It's not Alphas and Minis and Brocks and Rajindras and Phillips and uh, uh, Michals. It is theirs and everybody else. No, we are just working to be able to shine a light on how to make it understandable in the day-to-day realm. The scientific articles, I think there is enough written across the world. There is enough evidence across. How much more evidence do we need?
0: (laughs) We need to translate it so it's understandable and catchy. Yes.
1: What to do about it. Yes. So that's what we do with communities as well. That bridge between science and community. So science feels it's very, uh, 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 you know, sometimes quite snobby about the figures that they have, but actually those figures are useless if they're not used by the community that lives on the land. And it's useful for scientists to figure out and crunch numbers around what the community wants to know. So that bridge is crucial. So if you're measuring something, measure what the community needs as well, not just giving them info, but getting info from them to inform you and whenever we've done that you find both sides there is real excitement so we we did that with um, a project we did with Leicester University and IIT Kanpur in India with communities on a whole canal project and then we did that with uh, uh, the engineers civil engineers uh, really some of the best well most well-known civil engineers in the UK sitting with our communities on the Joward on top and that discussion, you know, that, that, so there, there is a meeting of hearts, uh, you know, not the disciplines. The disciplines come together in any case. So bringing the wisdom of both together is crucial. So it's not glorifying just the traditional or uh, sitting only with the scientific. And that's the work we all are doing, I think. Cool. Uh, uncovering, uh, or taking that curtain off from the mysterious snobbiness of science or that uh, you know those communities we can't talk to them they're too far away bringing them bringing that that we are all one on this planet and the water cycle large water cycle is one it's connects us and our small water cycles is what connects all of us to keep the earth healthy so that that's in, in if we can do more and more of that, demystify it, then people will find it easier to take a step.
0: Right. So, yeah, so this water movement is both a decentralized community movement and a kind of social media digital information movement and a kind of integration of scientific knowledge with indigenous ancient knowledge kind of. Well put. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well put. And if we can do TikTok, uh, if we can get the 15-year-olds really interested in the water cycle, Imagine viral TikTok videos across China and Brazil and India and Japan and wherever. Sixteen-year-olds interested? That's the age group that really, uh, they and they are interested. It's just how do you get it? Get them to uh, how does it go viral in that sphere? I mean that's
0: probably the most important age group because they get they have to live through all these problems like for the rest of their lives. You know, Um, so.
1: So we can work on that, if we can figure out a way to make it viral on in that age group, with that media, with that technology, uh, what we're talking about today, you and I, would find a natural home for the future.
0: Cool. Thanks. Well, that's, that's maybe a good place to end this conversation. Yes.
1: <laughs> thank you so much, Alfred. It's a pleasure yeah. speaking with you.
0: Yeah, thank you.